0: people who have the means to move around used to talk about moving abroad if things go south in america you we know we'll go to new zealand
1: <laughs>
0: but i do notice that 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 has, that has disappeared pretty much as a subject of conversation so i think there's a sort of recognition now of that if you don't save it here it's not saved anywhere i do think that uh, it's obviously running. The, the, the treadmill is running faster than humans can run. I'm worried about what happens if America does put a pause on on this, because America might put a pause on it, you know, Britain might put a pause on it, but other countries won't. But in the end, you know, you can't you can't actually hold back learning. It is the truth of it.
1: The entire thing, the LGBTQIA+, the fact that there's more and more people who are coming under this particular... Uh, no, value. it's
0: not a real thing. It's bullshit. Total horse My view has always been there's no such thing as a gay community anyway, and that's just the gays. There is no bigger chasm in the world than gay men and asexuals. <laughs> None. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to Trigonometry on the Road from the USA. I'm Francis Foster.
2: I'm Constantine Kissen.
1: And this is a show for you if you want
2: honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a prolific author and journalist who returns to the show for the hundredth time in about a year. Douglas Murray, welcome back to Trigonometry. <laughs> It, 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 it's a little while since we spoke. But it, yeah. it is, but you are one of our beloved guests. Oh, well, you're I, some of my beloved hosts. Thank so. you very much. I actually told the story on one of our Raw shows the other day about tricking you into our first interview. How did that happen? Well, we were at the small conference in Oxford. Oh, yeah, of course. And you went out to the toilet. And I was like, oh, it's Douglas Murray. I want to get Douglas on the show. So I went on. Now's the time. Now's the time. (laughs) He's in the toilet. He's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. Uh, So I went outside and I was sort of on my phone. And when you came out, I was like, oh, Douglas, by the way... And that's actually that's how, the, how we did our first interview. And we have interviewed you many times since. So we've talked about the standard culture and all of that sure. issue. And you, of course, have written about it extensively. Last book, The Madness of Crowds and The War in the West, your last two books. And, of course, The Strange Death of Europe before that. What are you thinking now, Douglas? What are you thinking about? What are you seeing other than all, all the stuff that we all already know?
0: Uh, I think the main thing that's preoccupied preoccupying me at the moment is um, What we sh- should be doing mm-hmm. <laughs> um, It's I- I'm working away on something at the moment But the thing that started to really preoccupy me is what would we be do- be doing if This crap wasn't in our way. Yes um, Mainly in the hope that I know you both share that that we can get it out of the way mm-hmm. you know um, uh, what would we be creating? What would we be thinking about? Uh, what are the things that are out there that, that, that should be bothering us, that, that we can address, that we can make progress on? Uh, that, that's really what's sort of on my mind most at the moment, because I just see this great clutter in front of, particularly young people, that's what really strikes me, um, particularly in the US, but it's the same in Britain uh, and everywhere else in the, in the developed world, you just have this clutter when you're growing up. Now, you always did, but there's just additional clutter. Mm. And I think for a lot of young people who I speak to, uh, a lot of them just are checking out of the whole thing as a result of that. And I think that we're at an enormous risk of losing the talent of the next generation
2: if we don't start to think really hard about how, to, how the adults can clear the path and what are you thinking there? Because I've talked about the need for a positive vision of the future yeah. and, as you say, moving beyond woke and anti-woke because they're both destructive forces in terms of the energy that yeah. they direct. So what is, what is the constructive path? Where, you know, what is that thing that we could be doing if we weren't doing all of this? Well, I mean, it's obviously different for everybody.
0: Uh, um, I mean, you know, if you're a comedian, you make people laugh. Um, if uh, you're a writer, you, you write the things you need to write. Um, I actually try very consciously, I've tried throughout my career to do this, to roughly balance what I write as doing like stuff that I hate and I'm attacking and stuff that I love and I want to actually defend and write about mm. and, and, and do something with. Mm. I, it's very hard to get the proportions right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we all get caught on that first one a bit too much, I think. Mm. But, you yeah, know, writers should write. Um uh, you know, coders should code. Um, uh, but the main thing is um, in innovation and in thinking and in coming up with new ideas, you know, is, is there so much time spent on this unwinnable game that we've spoken about before, the unwinnable game of hierarchies, of intersectionism and all this sort of thing. And, and it hasn't yet got anyone anywhere. Mm-hmm. But imagine if that amazing amount of energy and insight and ability was actually directed onto something. You know, I mean, and people have their own answers, as I say. I mean, Elon Musk's answer is, you know, we should go to Mars. And if you say to Elon, well, why? He'll say, you know, I think we should have a reason to get up in the morning. Mine is that I'd like to go to Mars. Mm. That's not particularly my thing <laughs> when I get up in the morning. I mean, I'd be, like Philip Larkin said about going to China, I wouldn't mind as long as I could come back the same day. But <laughs> I, I, but I I I admire him, for instance. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I admire him is I admire somebody who realizes that. You've got to have a reason to get up in the morning. There has to be a vision. There has to be something you're going to do, something you're going to conquer. And the other thing to say about that is that the great temptation is to say, well, the conditions aren't optimal. You know, there's this in my way, there's that, there's the other. And I'm not discounting for a moment that there are problems. There are problems of young people accruing capital. That's a big one. We've talked about before getting on the housing ladder, owning property, um, uh, all sorts of things, Uh, rewarding investment, rewarding savings, rewarding prudence, all all sorts of things that definitely could be uh, addressed better. But I've become very fond of a sermon that C.S. Lewis gave at the University Church in Oxford in the autumn of 1939, and I've quoted quite a lot recently in speeches. He said there, he says the conditions at the moment aren't optimal. Which is <laughs> a, great, a great example of British understatement. Yeah. Um, but he says the conditions at the moment are not optimal, but they never were. Mm. He, he says he, human life was always lived on the edge of a precipice. And if our ancestors had put off the search for truth or beauty until such a time as conditions were optimal, the search would never have begun. Mm. And that is a very important thing for anyone who's watching, particularly who's young and starting off. That's a very important thing to realize. It wasn't always precisely like this, but in some general way, it's always been like this. Mm -hmm. There's always been things in your way.
2: The question is whether or not you can get over them. Douglas, isn't there another thing here that all of us who are attempting to chart a sane path through this are coming up against, which is part of the idea of liberalism was throwing off the shackles of the shoulds and the oughts. right? And we've now come to a point where people like you and people like us want to say, there are some things that you can do that will, generally speaking, on average, make your life better. right? But we've lost the vocabulary to be able to say it in a way that uh, That works, and so we are now in a position where we 're afraid to say like it 's hard to say, you know generally speaking, for most people, family will be a good thing, yeah, right, but for the sure. moment you say that, then you 're demonizing yeah. people what who about can't. people who don 't have families, what well, about women who can 't have babies and so on, and wh- any area of life where you look at, that is the position we 're now so- now in, and that 's why I think we 're struggling to articulate that positive vision because we 're now all in a position where we can 't really say here's 10 things you can do to make your life better and to contribute mm. to society. Because we're all worried about being seen and being attacked for saying, you know, this is what you should do. Oh, you want women back in the kitchen or you want oh. you know, the gays back wherever the yeah. gays were. All of that. In the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Where they belong, no. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, two
0: observations, firstly, what you describe about the state of liberalism is something which... Uh, John Gray, who I'm a sort of sometime admirer of, um, but he did write a very fine essay some years ago. He's sort of one of the students of Isaiah Berlin, who, uh, maybe a successor even to Berlin, if Berlin had one. Um, he wrote a very important essay some years ago now called Modus Vivendi about the two different types of liberalism. It's a slight play on Isaiah's uh, two concepts of liberty, but, but the two ideas of liberalism was, was firstly the the idea of liberalism as an organizing principle, which organized it and then then left people alone. The second form of liberalism is the sort of rampaging, always wanting to go forward liberalism, always seeking fights, always seeking a campaign, as it were. And this is one of the problems of describing liberalism, apart from the fact that it's a shapeshifter term. Uh, Many of us, I certainly believe in that first form of liberalism, Mm. liberalism as a as a, as a way to construct the social order and then you let people do their thing. Uh, the second form is the more prevalent form at the moment. It's always the noisier form. And it's the one that's most tempting, particularly to young people, because it says here's meaning, here's purpose, here's. Mm. Um, so that's the first observation. The second one, um, I think people have just gotta be a lot less scared. I mean, I don't mind saying, you know, look, for instance, all the data shows that you're gonna be much happier in your life if you're religious and a believer. I'm not able to be a believer, a literal believer in religion, Um, but I don't mind acknowledging that all the data shows that the religious are more likely to be happy. Why does that bother me? Likewise, uh, I don't have kids, but I'm not at all offended by the data that shows that (laughs) You know, having children is, for most people, the single most important thing that will happen to them in their lives, as as, as you know. Um, why does that, why should, why is that any skin off my nose? Why Why should that, why should that, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to construct the whole damn world around my own feelings. And that's what people are trying to do. And I think we should be much less bothered by them. So what? I'm not screwing up reality or altering it or pretending to alter it just because You might be mildly upset about something. So what, I'm mildly upset all the time. (laughs) Very angry, irritable, and much more, lots. But I don't think the answer to it is to pretend that the world is not what it is,
1: Douglas, one thing that I found very interesting recently is, so for example, when I was growing up, my mother is Latin American, we have a lot of gay men in our family, and, when I think about those men, they were they were tough. They faced a lot of prejudice, they lived through the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. They lost a lot of their friends and their lovers. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this new movement coming in which is trying to turn gay men into victims. Yeah. And I think it's the absolute worst yeah. way to to live and to to identify
0: sure, us. Sure, of course. Well, living as a victim is always disastrous. I mean, I wrote about that in the War on the West using Nietzsche carefully. Um, <laughs> as I always say, you have to. It's it's strong, it's strong stuff there. But, I mean, Nietzsche's great on the victimhood problem. And the problem of, 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 of victimhood is, is, I mean, it's basically a life that's not lived. Um, And uh, it also encourages people to cry about wounds they don't actually feel. Mm. Um, I I, I think you're right about that there is a generational thing on this. Uh, You're right, I can think of a lot of gay men older than me who, you know, tough as nails because they had Mm. to be Um, emotionally and sometimes physically as well. Um, I think someone like David Starkey, as he himself has said, was, was sort of created by the feeling of you know being thrown into the back of a police van if you were at a gay coffee shop on the King's Road. You know, um, uh, my generation was a bit more fortunate than that. Uh, but the one that's underneath me is um, is a bit more whiny for sure. Um, I, I, I mean, you can always complain about people younger than you. Uh, and it's a perennial human pleasure, but. It, I just say that I think some of those people should have a bit more damn respect for their elders. Um, but that's the case everywhere in Western societies. We've become very weird societies in not respecting our elders in, in any community or walk of life, uh, and that's very strange because it means you're left only respecting youth. But young people don't know anything. Why respect youth? I mean, it's it's worth. Um, recognizing the virtues of youth, but not of worshipping them. Um, I mean, why would you worship ignorance? Uh, or why not look to older people in your society to help convey wisdom? Um, it just doesn't seem to be something that much bothers our society. We say, oh, look, here's somebody new and young and hot. Let's see what they have to say. <laughs> well, that's like saying, um, you know, here's this old guy who knows a lot. Let's get him to do a photo shoot.
1: Hmm. <laughs> But it, it, this movement has, and I don't think people make this, this observation enough. And it's something that I have started to say more and more. It's deeply weird.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course it's weird. You just noticed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, it, but the entire thing, the LGBTQIA+, the fact that there's more and more people who are coming under this particular... Uh, no, it's
0: not a real thing. It's bullshit. It's total horse shit. And I'm just, one of the things that's very annoying in this era is that there are just these steaming piles of horse shit in front of us all. <laughs> and, and we're all meant to sort of shovel our way through them. I just don't have time. I and mean, I might pay somebody else to shovel the horse shit for me. But like, I just don't have time for this crap. I don't have time for people to keep adding letters to... I don't, uh, my view has always been there's no such thing as a gay community anyway. and That's just the gays. Lesbians and gays don't get on famously, have very little in common. Uh, both are very suspicious of bisexuals, <laughs> have nothing to do with transgender. Th- there is no bigger chasm in the world than gay men and asexuals, <laughs> none, <laughs> like the idea that in a bar, in a gay bar, like you know, you're like, hey, you're hot, I'm asexual. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, they have their own hookup apps where they
2: don't meet. Um, there's just nothing... It's <laughs> an app that keeps you as far away from other people yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, <laughs> keeps people's clothes on. Yeah.
0: And and then there's just... Then there's ones like uh, the, the queer one. Well, queer, as far as I can see, is only... I did a bit of this in Manners of Crowds, but it only means either, ooh, look at me, I'm fascinating. No, you're not. You, you dyed your hair purple, you're boring. Um, or it's... Um, I'm straight, but I want a bit of the intersectional pie, so I'll go, like, oh, I'm queer. There was a guy at Oxford who was teaching who said that, and he was just like, oh, oh, one of my students came over and said, it's so nice to see myself represented, you know, by a lecturer. Uh, and I think this guy had, like, painted his nails or some <laughs> crap like that. And uh, he, he's a straight guy. He's married to a woman. Uh, you're talking about queer. And queer used to be an insult to gay people it still is as an insult to gay people and then it's appropriated by some straight guys and girls because they think it'll make them interesting find another way to be interesting um it's it's sort of grotesque the, the uh the uh the alphabet people stuff doesn't really interest me i just you know get on with their lives they bored me enough you know
1: but there's also the fact as well that do you not and i've spoken to quite a lot of gay men about this and they all mutter under their breath that they actually find it profoundly irritating with the queer thing, where they go, if you do blackface, that is seen Mm. as the most heinous form of racism.
0: Unless you're Justin Trudeau.
1: Unless you're Justin Trudeau, in which case it's method. But, um... (laughs) But that being the case, if I come out and go, I'm queer, and, Mm. you know, I've never even had any form of sexual interaction with a man, that's fine.
0: Yeah, queerface is fine. Yeah, it was like, it's like woman face, it's fine. Yeah, You can pretend to be a woman and it's not insulting to women. You know, I don't agree, I think it's very insulting. But uh, I can't spend any more of my life being upset by morons. Yeah. Just uh, particularly attention seeking morons. Look at me, look at me. Yeah, I've got other things to do. There's books I haven't read.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a very profound point. But one of the things that I really wanted to ask you, Douglas, is you tackle some of the most contentious issues, the ones that Mm -hmm. a lot of people simply won't go near. Mm -hmm. Why do you do that?
0: Oh, it's fun. Uh, And it's necessary. Uh, And I've probably got a predilection for it. Uh, I I probably always was one of those people who people say, don't look at that. No, look. (laughs) Um, At that type of child. Mm. Uh, Don't read that, I'll read it. Don't say that, I'll say it. Um, that's probably just a habit thing. But also, the more you do it, the more you realize, it's fine, Like it's not scary. I don't like, I don't like the whininess, even of like, the people who might be in agreement with a lot of what I or you say. Mm. I don't like the whininess, this sort of self-pity of, oh, you should see what I get on social media, shut up, it's boring. Uh, Oh, I got so much blowback from this article. Go and spend time with your family or friends. Stop reading people you don't know on Twitter. There's just just a general sort of boring self-pity in the culture. And part of it comes from this sort of idea that if you transgress certain, you know, I don't know, certain dogmas of the time, that you'll be put under a lot of pressure. Some people are, and I've noted quite often that I seem to have some inexplicable ability to get away with things that a lot of people don't. And I notice that my female friends in the UK, for instance, who have tackled certain issues I've tackled, get a horrible amount of of blowback. And some of them are not as um, cut out for it as, you know, as, say, I am, uh, or or some others, including some female writers are. well, you know, okay, each to their own. Everyone knows their own limits. But um, I don't, I don't uh, have any, uh, I don't have any, you know, complaints about my life or, mm. you know, uh, moaning to, to be done. I have a great life, I say everything I think is true and, um, and enjoy it.
1: But surely when you were writing about The Strange Depth of, of Europe and when you were commenting on Islam, you must yeah. have known this, I mean, this is the most hot-button out of all the hot-button
2: issues. Yeah, and-, and it's not all about Twitter blowback. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That that one
0: is the one... Yeah, I'm being slightly flippant because of the stuff I've done more recently is well. I mean, I, I think my chances of being beheaded by a trans person are quite, <laughs> quite small. <laughs> I mean, famous last words. If I leave this studio, Constantine and a purple-haired woman with a dick decapitates me, please don't send that bit out. Yeah, all right, yeah.
2: we'll keep that, we'll hold that back.
0: But uh, but I think I think chances are low, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think the chances of a non-binary person actually... Even being
1: able to lift a sword.
0: <laughs> exactly even making a run at me, uh, I, I think that's unlikely. The Islam One is, always was, um, much harder. I sort of feel like I said everything I have to say mm. about that subject, but uh, that was definitely tricky for quite a number of years in my life. Yeah, I mean, it certainly made my movements uh, much restricted. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of my friends were sharp so um, it wasn't great. But nevertheless, I think broadly speaking, the point a small group of us in Europe wanted to make, which was that we still had the right to blaspheme any religion. Uh, I think we actually sort of, we didn't entirely win it, but we held some kind of line. Um, it certainly could have been a lot worse, I think. Um, and certain societies are more cowardly than others. I mean, Britain is really cowardly on the Islam one, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the teacher in Batley, you know. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. damn government should have come out for that guy, everyone, the police, and so on. And the same with you know, these inter- inter- intermittent, you know, appearances of sort of uh, people who appear in places like Bradford and stop films by thuggish protests. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that should be allowed. And I have very strong views on that. I mean, I simply think if you don't understand our society, get out of it, leave. We're, like, we're, not, gonna, we're not losing anything. Not going to lose anything. I think you should just go. Like, if you don't like a liberal modern society, leave it. Just go. We don't want you. Uh, I think that's what government should say. I think that's what uh, people should say. It's, it's, you, just, you don't get the point of being here. Fine, scram. Find somewhere where they don't show films. Um, so, I, I, I have no time for that, but I'm very struck by how weak the British authorities are again and again. They're stronger in France, mm. uh, and they're stronger in certain other countries. They're a weird holdouts. They're stronger in Denmark for other reasons, you know. But it differs from country to country.
2: The thing that really brought it home to me, I don't know if you would have seen the interview Richard Dawkins did with mm. Piers Morgan. And and Richard Dawkins is a man, I think, irrespective of his views on religion, some people really like them, some people don't. If you're like me, you really like them, and now less so over time, you change your mind. But he is a man who's been willing to speak up and be controversial and say things that people don't like, and then you watch that and you... I mean, look, who knows? But I think the assumption for many of us is that this is a, a very principled, decent man who... Very. As he's getting on in life, doesn't, doesn't, want doesn't, want a, doesn't want the hassle. I thought that was a very sad uh, That's thing. what I thought. Um, I
0: know Richard Little. I uh, um, enormously admire him. I mean, he, he really is a man of principle. Mm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have to agree with everyone's principle just to admire the principle they're sticking to. He's a man of science. So if he's asked to agree that there are people with multiple genders and sexual, sex, sexes or whatever, he'll just say, no, I'm a, a biologist, there are two mm-hmm. sexes. He doesn't mind doing that. Quite rightly, but I was struck by the fact that he, he didn't want to talk about Islam, and I've I've seen Richard at that cliff face. Uh, some years ago, he had a slightly unfortunate fallout. Unfortunately, I wish it hadn't happened, but he did an interview on Al Jazeera, and I wrote a piece slightly teasing him because he had slightly stepped back <coughs> from uh, uh, criticising Islam, particularly Muhammad, and I. I I knew exactly what was happening but i made a joke at his expense um and it was quite a good joke if i say so myself (laughs) but it was a bit of a cheap shot because i knew i knew the chasm which he was looking into at that moment it happened to be on al jazeera and um i i sort of i felt i felt i felt that i'd made my point but I also should have been more sympathetic to Richard's own uh, position at that time, which is that you know, he didn't want his life to be completely thrown into disarray by becoming a you know, public hate figure number one for the world's Muslims. And um, the fact that he now just said, I don't want to do that, uh, was a loss, definitely, mm. definitely. Um, but other people must pick up that baton. You know, uh, other younger people. Go for <laughs> <a minute>. <laughs> <laughs> they must. There'll be there'll be new young atheists coming along. You know, smart. Um, they'll have been inspired by Richard Dawkins and things he said before. And, and it's time. You know, I, I don't see why eighty or whatever Richard now is, he should continue to have to carry such a load. I don't think he should. I think
2: I think people need to come along and share the damn burden. Yeah, that makes sense. And Douglas, uh, let's move on a little bit because. Um, an issue I've never heard you comment on and you may have nothing to say, which is fine. I'll tell you if I don't. I know you will, which is why I'm asking. A lot of people are starting to talk about AI. Mm. And you, I mean, people will say you're a political commentator, but I think of you more as a philosopher to a large extent. Mm. You think about society and, and the ways that it's changing and where it's going. Do you have thoughts on what AI may mean for humanity? Not many. I mean, I, as you say, I sort of straddle both of those divides
0: um, uh, that you just described. I, uh, I've looked into a certain amount. I do think that uh, it's obviously running, the, the, the treadmill is running faster than humans can run. And that's, that's a problem. The recent letter signed by Elon and others uh, was a sign of that. Uh, the one I'm worried about, frankly, is... Um, I'm worried about what happens if America does put a pause on, on this, because America might put a pause on it, you know, Britain might put a pause on it, but other countries won't. I think there's a risk that it'll become like stem cells, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, America ends up like stopping certain research here for for profound and you know important moral reasons, but go to Central America. <laughs> And that's happening all over the place. Mm. So my worry with the AI one is that America and advanced democracies say, whoa. But you know China doesn't. Mm. Um, that, that seems to me to be the worst of all worlds, is that the technology is developed by, by countries that are already um, not free, to mm. say the least. Um, but I don't know what to do about that. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, other than continuing carefully to do it in our own societies. Um, But in the end, you know, you can't... You can't actually hold back learning, is the truth of it, you know. Um, I mean, it's like Gutenberg. Once it's out, you just can't hold it back. You can't stop the printing presses once they start rolling. Um, you can't start the internet once it's turned on, um, and again, it's probably always been like this. You know, it probably felt the same when gunpowder was first discovered. Um, this Do you is feel there's a certain everything.
2: futility to to thinking about these things? Well, not a futility
0: because it's very interesting. But I think I think people are misguided if they think that. That thinking about things like AI and being able to control them are the same thing. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, as I say, I mean you can think about gunpowder, <laughs> but it doesn't win you any battles. Um, you can think about the dis- discovery of the cannon or the invention of the, the, the automatic rifle. It doesn't win you any battle. Um, we could think endlessly about the nature of AI, but I, I think the likelihood that you'll be able to stop it is 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 highly unlikely. I think the one thing that I think the one thing that does worry me about it, and it's something which um, you know various philosophers have, have talked about in recent decades, is you know, there is there is a sort of moment when I mean, arguably, you could trace the moment that we're currently in back to that moment in what was it, 1994, when Gary Kasparov Played the, the computer chess and lost. And the notes that uh, Kasparov was um, uh, making as he went along, there was there was a very striking note. One of his notes himself was he said the machine isn't calculating; it's thinking. That's a very important moment in the development of what we now call AI. Um, there's another observation on that which um, which Tom Stoppard wrote in his the hard problem about the, the consciousness problem it 's a very interesting, profound play. he mentions that the only time that he says well one of the characters says in the play something i 've always been fond of, which is um, that the that the machines only really beat the humans when the machines mind losing um, because <laughs> minding losing is such a huge human uh, drive, uh, wanting to win, wanting to you know come back. Um, I think, at this point, the machines do mind losing, or very close to it. The one that alarms me more is the issue of memory and human memory. Because human memory and machine memory are clearly different things. I mean, I know this from our own lifespans already. There's a sort of weird uh, gap from before the internet era. It was recently, actually, shown when Gerry Adams of Sinn Féin IRA was back in the news. And uh, somebody mentioned that on the Wikipedia website for Jerry Adams, the only controversy under controversies is um, when he used the N-word some years ago in passing and got a lot of flack for it. I mean, it's an explosive issue, Douglas. It, it's well said. <laughs> but, but he's been involved in more explosive issues in <laughs> his time. And you would have thought that, and Mr Adams can sue me if, he thinks I'm wrong on this, but you would have thought that a man who was high up in an organization which he's always denied being a member of and an organization that killed 1,600 people and disappeared mothers and buried their bodies after torturing and shooting them in the back of the head should be on Wikipedia as a potential controversy. My point is, not to get onto that hobby horse of mine, but my point is is that there is this sort of Knowledge from before the internet era, which the internet is not capable of holding. It's the same with the the television archives Um, There are things that like exist on YouTube only because they exist on YouTube and somebody's posted them But there's all of this forgotten memory of of what was before Will the machines ever be able to do the the things that we have up here? Maybe someday But it will be different from human memory. Um, I don't relish the world in which the machine can compete with the greatest human mind. Um, Because to my mind, one of the things that makes humans humans is is having a sense of memory. Um, Collective familial and much more.
1: And it also brings uh, forward the discussion about AI art, because I was talking with Andrew Doyle about this, and he said, Well, AI can't create art because art is the expression of the human soul. Mm. But you see everything that is being created over it with AI, and it's already so advanced that you think to yourself, Is it going to make the artist obsolete?
0: Um, I don't think that will happen, actually. I mean, certainly what what has been produced so far doesn't fool me, at any rate. uh it it's a, currently a i artist as far as I can see it a purely parasitic art form it can only work off what's already there so it can imitate and it can imitate pretty well um it actually is quite easy to spot I would say at the moment some people watching will disagree and will doubtless send in examples mm-hmm. that I couldn't spot uh, uh I still think that if some if a i faked a Vermeer I would be able to tell um I'd be able to tell the difference between the fake and the real. Um, Maybe partly because there were so few Vermeers that one would know. But um, certain artists might be easier to fake than others. It's not hard to fake a Warhol because it wasn't hard to make. Um, uh, But will they be able to make advances in perception? Of the kind that say in the twentieth century, Picasso and Francis Bacon imagined, will they be able to push forward the the boundaries like that? I, I I doubt it. I think it'll be like in music. I mean, in 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 music, almost everything in film music, for instance, is already imitative, parasitic art. AI can create more of it, but can AI create Stravinsky? I doubt it. I doubt it.
2: Douglas. Y- you mentioned Northern Ireland, and it's it's a niche question, but I know you've written a book. You wrote a book, one of your early books, about it. And every time we talk about it, I I note. Look, I'm not saying it's not an issue people shouldn't care about, but you really care about it. Yeah, I I. I Why hate, is that? I hate murderers. It's
1: a controversial controversial thing. position <laughs> yeah. now. I, I
0: really, I really, I hate murderers. I hate people who get away with murder, and I particularly mind. And it's a very straightforward one. I have a residual deep dislike of the fact that the end of the conflict in Northern Ireland consisted of rewarding the people who shot people in the back of the head for 30 years and uh, then said, maybe we shouldn't. And sidelined all the people who said from the beginning, don't shoot people in the back of the head. I really mean the way in which I mean, on the more, on the less, actually, I mean, the, the, the loyalist side was very, very violent and on the extremes itself. But I mean, like Ian Paisley, who I had no, no love for at all, uh, but Ian Paisley, you know, pushes out David Trimble, a far finer man than him. Um, Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness push out Hume. And um, that just always bothered me because I thought the people who had always said, we shouldn't go down the path to hell. We're all left on the sidewalk, whilst the people who merrily walked everyone through hell for 30 years came out the other side pretending to be wise men of peace. And that, that, that's always bothered me and always will. Um, uh, I think it's just, it's an injustice which still rankles with me. And I had lots of friends involved in the conflict and, uh, and uh, I just know how many scars and wounds are still there. And, unhealed.
1: Do you think that it was a necessary injustice in order to bring peace to the region? It
0: it, it, it always depends whether or not you want to reward violence, you know? And I think we rewarded violence. It's a a very niche view these days. Everyone just sort of celebrates what they call the men of peace, who are all the people who were men of war, and then suddenly men of peace. it's a niche point. I would have done it another way. I would have continued to cripple the IRA and mm. make them come to the negotiating table on their knees, which they very nearly were in the early nineties. Uh, but I, I, I'm um, I'm always struck by the fact that in an era which talks about you know equality and mm. kindness and fairness and all these sort of things, fairness is 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 a much more important tangible thing mm. than equality and all these sort of things fairness is a very important virtue and it was totally thrown out the window in that and it's very very hard for people to see the people who killed their families walking around i once was in um central europe and spoke to a friend who had written a book about a woman who had been tortured and imprisoned in the in the communist era and uh, one day she was many years later after the fall of the wall she was walking back with her shopping and she saw her torturer walking towards her in the street you know and he apparently looked at her and recognized her and he darted into a courtyard disappeared but i mean it's unimaginable really Mm. and and that for that 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 in northern ireland is happening admittedly for people on all sides thousands and thousands of people. I think at the very least people should have empathy for that,
1: mm. you know? Absolutely, and you spend a lot of time in the United States. I do. And people are saying that the United States is ever more divided, that, you know, the country's on its way out and blah, blah, blah. How do you see this country, Douglas?
0: Well, it's obviously divided, wildly divided, and you, you, you can't, unless you spend long periods of time here, you can't adjust just how bad it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing I would make observation on that is, In the time I've been coming here myself, I've noticed that um, uh, people used to talk about, people who had the means to move around, which is, of course, not everybody. People who have the means to move around used to talk about moving abroad. If things go south in America, you know, we'll go to New Zealand. (laughs) Or Malta. It was a sort of dinner party conversation, if Mm. you like. Canada was the other one. Canada? Remember that? I mean, none of these places have made themselves remotely appealing in the (laughs) time since. But I do notice that that has has disappeared pretty much as a subject of conversation, partly because of the way in which countries like Australia, New Zealand and Canada dealt with lockdown and COVID and showed extraordinary authoritarian tendencies, which most people hadn't expected. Mm. Um, But it's also... Gone away because what's happening in America is people are moving within the country Mm -hmm. You know a lot of my friends from California have been moving to Texas particularly Austin Uh, My friends in New York have Mainly left when I came here Uh, um, And they've moved to you know Houston and Miami and some of the wealthy ones moved to Palm Beach or they've to West Palm Beach and and you know Florida in general And some people see this as a terrible sign, an example of the further fracturing of the society. Um, You can see it that way, but you can also see it as an expression of trust, nevertheless, Mm -hmm. in the United States of America. Or to put it another way, the recognition that if America goes south, Mm. you don't buy yourself any time in Malta. (laughs) You know, uh, if America goes south, you don't actually buy yourself any time in one of the... Countries that was effectively protected as a satellite part of the American era of, of dominance um, So I think there's a sort of recognition now of that if you don't save it here It's not saved anywhere. So you better make sure it works here And, and there are people from the crazy extremes of the left and the right in America most recently on the right from the lunatic congresswoman marjorie taylor green who's a sort of gift that keeps on giving for the democrats um who called for you know a split up of the country uh it, it, it's mad talk and frivolous talk really but um yeah it, it matters enormously that people in america should be able to get along and if they can't you know there are many other problems that come from that but i think that and i've said a lot whilst i've been here that 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 People say, so what, what one thing can you do to to fix the, the growing divide? And I always say, you know, just agree on one thing. The one thing that happened. <laughs> like, agree when you were founded. You know, or agree on, you know, the inviolability of the Constitution. Or, or just agree on the fact the founding fathers were great men. Or whatever you, you want. Just like, or agree that it was a good thing that Abraham Lincoln was born. You know, whatever you want. Just like... Or agree who won the last election? <laughs> That's a tougher one. Uh, you know, just that would that would that would really help in America because the problem, as I said quite often, is that uh, the problem is in America in particular is not that people have different opinions, but they have different facts. And and you you find very fast in any interaction in public or private which facts the person you're speaking to has got. And the moment you get into one of the ones they've got, which is one that you regard as not being true. Um, you just get gnarled up and you very rarely can get anywhere after that. You either have to park it, say, okay, let's just not do that now. Or you have to go all in and, you know, kind of ruin the evening.
2: (laughs) I'm a sort of past master at that. Uh, You know what, when you're talking about agreeing on something, all the things you listed are important. But I sort of feel it almost goes deeper than that, which is, first and foremost, Americans and the West, people in the Western countries generally, have to agree that we want the West to survive mm-hmm. and we want it to prosper. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of people now who don't agree on that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about the, the crazies on the left, although that is primarily coming from them, but your point about you know, people saying we need a national divorce, all of that, I mean, part of that is a, a, an idea, as you say, is crazy talk, that would make sure that America doesn't survive and doesn't prosper.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that everyone can only see the world from the position they're standing in, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there's a, a limited amount extent to which you can say to people, you have no idea how good you've got it. I mean, you've both spoken about this before, and we've spoken about it. Uh, you can sort of tell people it's, sort of hell over there or is hell there before or is it? but people are just living in the lives they've found themselves in and if things aren't always going their way they will quite often reach for a grandiose overarching explanation for it um i mean the oddity of course is that they tend to reach back for explanations that have failed every time mm-hmm. they've been tried you know like you know, i remember after the financial crisis in 08 there was a glut mm-hmm. of pieces by ignoramuses saying things like, should we think about trying socialism? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, sorry. should we look at eating cyanide? <laughs> uh, 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 it's sort of, uh, it, but that's only because these are ignorant people who think that there's a sort of binary, That's right. which is like capitalism when it's gone wrong, like it did in 2008, mm. the, uh, and the only other alternative to capitalism is state run communism like that so, that's, so I, again I, I I don't have much time for those people uh, and well maybe we, we should sort of just ignore them you know
2: uh, they, they just don't know what they're talking about they, i mean you, you you can't open your mouth and be that stupid I mm-hmm. think you should but, but this is what I'm getting at though is uh, I think more broadly in society, the very idea you know how how often do you hear on TV or in the paper someone saying what you and I have both said often, which is the West is great Mm -hmm. and we want it to survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. But that isn't something that people say. And I feel like quite a lot of people don't actually have that concept in mind because they're so busy on the internal fight, they don't recognise that there are external fights in which we are weakening ourselves by fighting amongst each other.
0: Yeah, I I, I think it's partly, it goes back to the point I was making about the modus vivendi. People don't, necessarily understand the settlement that they're living in Mm. Uh, um, and that this might all be part of it. Or at least this is the only system that allows for that. Um, You know, free market capitalism is the only system anyone ever invented that makes even its critics rich, you know. (laughs) As Mr. Chomsky and others have found out. Um, uh, Michael Moore is another good example. Um, But, I think a lot of people don't understand the, 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 the mode in which the society is set that allows for the self-criticism, that allows for the self-flagellation, that, that allows for the endless uh, criticisms and critiques. And my view is that that's all actually a, a feature of our society which is good. The self-criticism is a definite benefit in Western societies. It's good until it turns into self-laceration, self-loathing and then self-destruction. Um, and it 's not hard to see where those degradations occur um, but i I, th- I think that yes, a lot of people don 't understand the setting they're in or I mean, they're sort of like the fish in water thing you know mm. they just they don 't realize that that's the water, and the alternatives are all just being flung out into dry parched land i i'm um but maybe maybe this this stuff only comes up because of sort of frustrations that people are feeling and and they grab for whatever there is that they think is the only other alternative. So mm. Unfortunately, everything nearby that they grab is so much worse, as, as we all know.
1: And one of the things that seems to be a, a really contentious issue, well, not really, it is a very contentious issue, and we were talking about this last night, something that I think could definitely help to... Split this country up is the issue of guns. If the Democrats go after the right to bear arms.
0: They won't. They won't. Good. uh, uh, um, uh, There are so many guns in this country, You, you, you can never take them away just i just don't think it'll happen
2: well that was the nature of the discussion we were having i don't say good because i'm a massive fan of guns i just know what would happen if they did and i hope they're smart enough not to do that
0: people are um it's it's very funny all societies have things about them which uh people from the outside just sort of can't understand that's right and i always say that like in america the two things that that outsiders tend not to understand particularly if they're from europe or britain are uh, abortion and guns yeah and like the thing that Americans don't understand about Britain is like monarchy, for instance. And mm-hmm. I was here when the Queen died, and it was very interesting. that, You know, a number of news anchors and others said to me off off screen, as it were. You know, I admired her, but I don't quite understand the the intensity of this. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? And I, and I I found myself explaining to them, well, well, the Queen is is like the living embodiment of the flag in America. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something like that. And it was interesting. They sort of they they, they, they got that, but, Of course it's strange if you don't live in a country where there's a family which inherits a throne and a crown and a scepter and an orb and and all this. It's sort of strange, hard to understand from outside if you're from a constitutional republic. But every society's got stuff like that, you know. France has oddities that are hard to explain unless you're French and all societies are like that. And there's always a slight problem when an outsider, as it were, comes in Mm. And says, "I don't like this thing." It's 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 an it's an issue which, in particular, in America, is a problem in the South, because the South has unfinished historical issues. I was touring around uh, the Carolinas and Virginia and other places recently, and I saw much of this firsthand. That um, there's a sort of feeling of bitterness that people from outside are coming in and telling them what they can and cannot venerate, and and that's. Uh, my own view is that that's acceptable to make those criticisms of it because it's people in the same country. But when you have somebody come from, I don't know, Britain and say, I'm appalled at mm-hmm. seeing this statue of General League, You're not really appalled. It has nothing to do with you. Um, that, that, that is the sort of thing that people mind. But that's the same in every country. Um, but there is a tendency of people to come to America and, and blow themselves up by saying, I don't understand. X about this society, and the society says, sorry, we didn't lay it on for you, you know. When I campaigned against guns in America, I was a British guy telling Americans how to lead their lives. They have 420 million guns, we have hardly any, and so what do I really know about their gun culture? The, the truth is I thought I knew better than them and shouted at them louder and louder to try and get them to give up guns, and they sold more and more guns <laughs> because of my shouting. So they had the complete opposite effect to what I thought. We'd been driven out with guns mm. to get them independence in the first place. Who's this snotty British guy with this British accent telling us what to do? I don't want to hear this from this guy, and I definitely don't want to hear it from my accent. It would be like an American coming over here and saying, "I want to ban cricket because you know people people get injured." And what would we do? We said, "Sod off, annoying American! Go back to him. you know." That's what we would think, right? So I broke that sort of cultural rule.
2: Douglas, th- uh, you, we've got to let you go because you've got important things to do. But thank you for coming back on the show. Very quickly, well, before pleasure. we head to our locals for the questions from our audience that only they will get to see the answers to, what's the one thing we're not talking about as a society that we really sure? Oh, be? I forgot you asked that oh, question. Oh, you did. Yes. I forgot. I should have prepared
0: some wise answer. <laughs> Seems to me we're talking about most things other than that thing I mentioned at the very beginning, which is what we should actually be doing, you know. I'd, lo- I'd love us to get onto that. I'd, lo- I'd love ambition to come back. Is that what your next is book like. is about? Uh, I'm not <laughs> um, no, I, um, I'd, I'd love us to, to to really focus. That's the truth of it. And work out how to unleash the real talent. Mm-hmm. Not the way we talk about it at the moment, of unleashing the talentless, but unleashing real talent, or at least not keeping it down. Um, Yeah, what would we be doing if we weren't doing this crap, you know? Broadly speaking,
2: what I think. Douglas Murray, thank you for coming back on Trigonology. It's a great pleasure. Join us on Locals, we will ask you bonus questions. We'll see you there. (laughs) Given all the problems that afflict the West, is it irresponsible to have children?